Well, why don't you grab your Bibles? We're going to spend some time this morning in the Scriptures. We're continuing our series, working our way through the book of Acts. And we've been spending intentionally, kind of almost taking a moment's breath, a moment's pause, a mini-series within a bigger series, if you like. Just trying to rediscover, recalibrate, re-encourage, whatever the word might be, but just be reminded of, of what's really important in every season, but particularly in a season like the one that we're going through. What is it that matters? You know, I, I love the, the enthusiasm, I love the, the honesty and the, the lack of pretension from young kids. My kids are like this all the time and they're often saying, why? Well, why? Why do I need to eat my vegetables? Why do I need to, to study and do homeschooling? And that's a, a wonderful joy in the current season. What, why? Why? What, what is it that really matters? What is it that's important for me to grasp so that I might know and be able to focus my life upon the essentials and the realities that count? Now that's, as I said, that's important at, at any season and you know, any time in our lives, particularly when there's many things happening all around us. And, you know, I was uh, watching the news, as I'm sure you were this past week, and not only have we got pandemics and politics, we've now got earthquakes happening down in Victoria, and praise the Lord that no one was injured. It was, uh, as I'm sure we've all heard, the largest earthquake in that particular corner of the country in recorded history is my understanding. So, you know, a significant shaking. In fact, uh, Dr. Brett Sutton, who's the Victorian Chief Health Officer, he had a little Twitter tweet saying this. He said, no more horses of the apocalypse, please. Hope everyone's doing okay, was his tweet. Now, obviously, I don't think he was intending to make a theological statement. Very much tongue in cheek, but he certainly was pointing to and capturing a reality that these are interesting, unusual, strange, but I would add to all that critical seasons that we find ourselves in, in the midst of. So there, there are challenges, and even this past week, I know a number of you have reached out, and there are people struggling. And let me just encourage us, if you are in that place, please do reach out. Please don't feel you have to journey and wrestle and work through these things on your own. But these are also critical times that, you know, the Lord is clearly at work in many different ways. And it's a season for us to be ready, to be prepared, ready to pray, ready to press in, but ready to respond with love something that seems to be missing so often in the conversations, the, the discourses, the news reports right from the leaders of our land all the way down is a lack of compassion, a lack of kindness. We're all about solving problems rather than loving people. And there is an opportunity for us to be ready to love. Love one another. Love those around us. And we have the greatest gift that could ever be given and received, the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ himself and what he has made available to us, his glorious gospel, the good news. And that's what we're focusing on. We're bringing 
to a conclusion this portion of Scripture and this mini-sermon series, really hopefully reflecting upon that as we looked last week. I shared some travel stories, as I'm sure all of us are thinking about the first place, writing a list of where we're going to go when borders and everything reopens, but of just majestic mountain views of that panorama that helps us press in and engage in the midst of the season. And Paul has preached this incredible sermon that brings us to the passage, Acts 17, if you're not already there, where he's outlined to a people searching. He said, you're searching. In fact, you're searching to such a degree that you've even created an idol to the unknown God, just to make sure we've got everything covered off, every possible avenue covered and That is the heart that he he found himself in, this searching, longing people, but not really ever finding or arriving at in any place of great purpose and meaning. So he proclaims his sermon, he says, I see you're searching. Well, the good news is that futility is no more. All your searching and fumbling through the darkness has found its joyful conclusion. Let me preach the gospel, and here it is. We looked at these in previous weeks. This is by way of review. There is a God. He's not unknown. There's, there's, there's no need for us to be kind of wondering who it is that He is because He's opened our eyes. He's revealed who He is to us in the most radical way, he invited us to know Him. We've, of course, talked as well about this notion of, as Paul proclaims in his sermon, that it's his story from beginning to end. He's determined the periods, the boundaries, the dwelling places, the seasons in which we would live. Um, He's given us our very breath, and it's in him that we live and that we move and we have our being, that particular verse being the focus for last week. So let's pick up from verse 29 as we bring this sermon series and this sermon of Paul's to a conclusion. He says this, being then God's offspring. See, that's the case that he's made. We're, we're not just here without any concept of a bigger picture, without any sense of purpose and meaning. We are his offspring in that word. It just, it's pregnant with so many realities of identity, of purpose, of intention, of love. And, and we could camp there for a whole nother sermon series, being then that we are, we're not purposeless, we're His, we're loved, we're predestined before the foundation of the world, given that, you know, as He's proclaimed, He's invited us to know Him. We ought not, he says, to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. That's not what God wants. He doesn't want to just be an idol. Okay, our eyes have been opened. Let's create a little statue that we can worship, which, of course, was their practice to preserve. I mean, we might say in our term, he's not just a theological principle. It's not just something that we can hold off at a distance. It says in verse 30, the times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. A word that we don't like to use in our modern society. It's a little confronting, and yet for us who believe in Christ, it's the ultimate joy that he would invite us to look away from ourselves to stop trusting in our capacity to work 
things out, to turn to Him, to receive that free gift of grace, His life for our own. What a joy it is when we discover and we live in the path of repentance, the pathway to Him and all that He offers. He goes on, verse 31, because He has fixed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed, and of this He's given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. Full stop, amen, he concludes his sermon. Now, of course, as we talked about, as we've begun this, this is more than likely an abbreviated version. It was likely that these discourses would normally run hours, if not half a day, day, sometimes days at a time. So he's been preaching and proclaiming for some time, telling those who would listen the good news of the gospel. And this is how he lands it. This is how every good sermon should end. Every conversation that we have with others should end. This is what matters. As he's moved to to preach, as he proclaims the gospel, here's where he lands. He says at the end of the day, this is what matters. It's all about him. It's all about him. It always was all about him and it always will be all about him. It's all about Jesus. And he uses these ways to point us towards that. He says, number one, there is a fixed truth. There's a fixed truth. Says the times of ignorance have gone. God is commanding all of us to respond to what? Our feelings, to respond to some sort of subject, no, to respond to the truth of who he has revealed himself to be. That's what it means to be a Christian. Not just that you have feelings or encounters or that's wonderful, that's not bad in and of itself, but here's what it means. It means to respond to the truth that has been revealed, that His Spirit has opened your eyes to see a fixed truth, one single truth that really matters, who you think Jesus is. Who is Jesus? It's a fixed truth, but He says there's a fixed time. There's a fixed time, there's an appointed season. Galatians talks about this. He says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son to redeem and to rescue those whom he loved. In the fullness of time. See, God is, is not removed in some sort of abstract way from human history. He's saying there's a fixed truth and there's a fixed time. He's defined certain seasons. And in fact, all of human history passed, even beyond that, before he laid the foundations of the world. He had appointed times and seasons in general, but one specific time when he would step in human flesh and come and reveal to us his great plan of redemption and salvation and reconciliation. You know, what a joy that is. I just think about you know, time 
And it's, it's funny at the moment, isn't it? We get so frustrated at the, the two-second delay on the, the internet refresh page, or I'm sure you've had all sorts of experiences in this online season with Skype calls and you miss half a second. We, we get so frustrated with little moments of time, and yet else, at, at other moments, we wait for weeks or for months. At this time, it feels like forever for the package to arrive in the mail because there's delays we wait expectantly. But, but time focuses the way that we live in a good or a bad fashion. He's saying there is a fixed time. Do not look around you and see seasons as if they're somehow haphazardly or sporadically or spontaneously evolving. He is unfolding his plan. There's a fixed truth, there's a fixed time, and lastly, there is a fixed testimony. A testimony that will stand, that does stand to the end of time and even beyond, as Ephesians says, that in the ages to come, we look back at this testimony with wonder, with awe, with just this incomprehensible, this unfathomable reality of who He is and what He's done for us. See, it's a reality, it's a testimony of His power. That's what Paul says, a testimony of His power that raised Christ from the dead, that even death is not beyond His plan and purpose of victory, and it's a testimony of His promise, an enduring promise, an everlasting promise that if we trust in Him, that He is who He said that He is, and that He will do and accomplish all that He said He will do and accomplish. You see, there is no doubt in Paul's mind as he brings this sermon series to a close, and I want there to be no doubt in our mind in this season and in every other season, this is what matters. Why? Why do we do? What's, what's the meaning? What's the purpose? What's, what really matters at the end of the day? It is Him. See, aren't you so glad that the gospel and Paul's sermon, he didn't end and say, well, this is what really matters. At the end of the day, this is what matters. It's, have you lived a perfect life? Did you obey every commandment? both the implied and the intended meaning? Did you fast enough? Did you read your Bible? It, it, it's, it's nothing like that. He doesn't say, well, well you know, did you understand the depths of theology? Did you expand upon the five pillars of Calvinism, of other theological principles? At the end of the day, there's one thing and one thing that matters. It's do you know Him? How will you respond to this fixed truth, this fixed time, and this fixed testimony that proclaims who He is and what He's done for us? There's a, there's a passage that's both encouraging and stirring. It's challenging and convicting. It's found in Matthew 7.22. It's Jesus and he says this, he says, many will come to me on that day. He's talking about that day when each of us will stand before him giving accounts of our lives. 
It says many will come. He's not saying just a few. Some translations say multitudes. It doesn't specify exactly how many other than this is a large group of people. There's more than one. It's not just a few off to the side. It says many will come to me on that day and say, well, Lord, look at all the things we've done for you. Like, just in case you need some reminding, can, can I just list my resume? Here are the things I've done. You know, I've, I've healed people and, and I've, I've performed many miracles and I've, you know, given money to this particular cause and whatever it is that we may feel is worthy of his affirmation. And tragically, rather than commending them for their works, he looks at them, he says, depart from me because I never knew you. I never knew you. I never knew you. All the stuff in the world, all the things we feel we could add or used to earn or achieve, they count for nothing compared to knowing Him. See, that's the simple reality. As we stand before Him, it will not be, well, did you live for this cause? Did you live for that cause? Did you promote this particular agenda? Did you subscribe to that particular you know, theological nuance? Nuance? One question that matters that should always be front and center in our hearts at the end of the day is simply this. Did you love him? Did you love him? Have your eyes been opened to the truth to see him for who he is? Have you received what he came to offer, the greatness of his gift of salvation that he purchased with his own life? Have you radically be transformed by His love is so great, so glorious? Do you know what it is to be reconciled with Him? Heart set alight with a passionate, burning fire of love. And here's the good news for us, you know, that centrality, the centrality of that question of what really matters, it doesn't change through trials and tribulation, through pandemics and politics. It's our true north. It's our constant compass when we need a bearing check. That's where we need to come back to Him. Do you know Him, this radical relationship with Him? He is the hope for the hopeless. He is the healing for the hurting, for the broken, for the you, and for the me. He is the beacon of light that shines in the midst of the deepest darkness. So I want to encourage us, and this has been the theme, I hope in some way that you've picked up, throughout the past month, because this has always been the central focus, the stirring in my heart that I pray has become a fresh stirring in each of our hearts, in, and it's simply this, in, in a world where 
People want to gather around so many things, increasingly, not just in this season, but we want to gather around that political ideology, that way of thinking, that you know, particular point of view and perspective on fill-in-the-blank. Dozens of different issues. There's one cause as God's people that we must gather around. More than any of those other issues. And it's not to say, as we've said, that some of those things are not important. Many of them are not. But it's not to say that all of them are of no importance. But here is the one reality more than anything else in my heart, is that we gather around Him. That we spend these few years that we have on this planet It's a day less than it was yesterday. I don't know how long it's going to be. He knows the times and seasons, but I know how I want to spend them. It's seeking Him. It's trusting Him. It's loving Him with everything in my heart, in our hearts, and it's pointing others towards Him. Any other agenda, any other mission, any other method, it just counts for nothing compared to that simple truth and reality of loving him, of building my life around that, and everything else in my life flowing out from that place. In the end, what is it that truly matters? I want to pray for us. I want to give us a few moments as we conclude. As my maestro behind the desk's Thanks again to Tony who is with us here, gives us just some ministry music to hopefully help focus our hearts upon him. I want to ask you a few questions, but just to the best of your ability, wherever it is, just take a moment, just pause in whatever thoughts that are racing around your head and perhaps even in the midst of anxiety and fear and doubt and even perhaps the, the good things that are going on. And I want to intentionally ask us to take stock. The question is centrally and primarily this. Where is Jesus? Where is He? Where is He for you at this moment in that swirl of stuff going around and all of the the thoughts and ideas and concerns and the fears and things that you're, you're passionate about, where is he in the midst of that? And perhaps I pray and I hope for some of us, we say, well, he's, he's front and center. There he is. He's my passion. He's my joy. He's my desire, my delight as I wake each morning. And I'd say, praise God, let that increase even more. But perhaps there's a few of us this morning, if we're perfectly honest, in this moment before Him, as you take stock of that question, you think, well, He's there, but maybe maybe He's just become a little lost under the layers of anxiety. Maybe His, His voice has been a little drowned out in the midst of the noise of the narrative. Maybe there's been some greater passions that have kind of directed and focused me 
away from the one who should always be. He always is the greatest passion and the only one truly worthy of my complete, utter, unadulterated, passionate pursuit. And I want to pray for us just in the midst of that place as you take stock that what matters would become what matters for us. Can we pray? So, Father, here we are in seasons that are somewhat unfamiliar, somewhat confusing to us. But I thank you, Lord, that there's nothing that we see that's beyond your knowledge, your wisdom, your capacity to lead us, and the power of your presence to sustain us. And I want to pray for each and every one of us this morning, Lord. Would you help us to take stock today? Would you help us to see where perhaps there's been things that have maybe clouded the vision, maybe just dampened or perhaps even completely drowned out your voice, where there's been passions that have drawn us aside. And I pray as we we hear Paul's word as he brings this passionate sermon to a conclusion that what truly matters would again become the very thing that truly matters for us. May you take your rightful place, King Jesus. May you be front and center. May the the joy and the desire and the pursuit and the pleasure of our lives and our proclamation to the world around us be centered, be built, be drenched. May it be so completely all about you. And where, Lord, particularly there's been in this season any form of discouragement and disappointment and frustrations and anything else the enemy might bring against us as your people that would keep us from keeping our eyes upon you. Lord, I pray for a lifting off. I pray for a lifting up. I pray for the capacity for your people to run, to run despite everything happening around us with a renewed passion, with a renewed focus, with a renewed purpose and the power of your Spirit, leading and guiding every step. We pray that in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.